Hello, and welcome to another Nine Circles audio thing. As always, I'm your host, Buke. And on this episode, I am joined by all the members of the death metal band Majesties. I am joined by Tanner, guitars and vocals, Carl on guitar, and Matt on bass. And Tanner also does drums. And we'll probably get into what other instruments they may play as a hobby, but that's beside the point. We are talking here on the eve of Majesty's release for their album, Vast Reaches Unclaimed. Gentlemen, I will first start by Tanner, just because he's on my PR list first. Tanner, how are you doing on this Monday afternoon, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having us speak. It is a pleasure. It is a true pleasure. Carl, how is your evening treating you, sir? Well, it's just fine. It's uh, it's sleeting outside, but it's it's warm in here, so uh, all is well. And Matt, how is how is your weather situation? Uh, same, same. It's a sleet outside right now, but I'm cozy in the studio and uh, just excited to be here. You know, I have to ask you guys, not that this is a weather podcast, but here in the D.C. metro area where I live, we haven't got any snow or sleet or anything like that. For you guys, is, is this just like a normal Monday? You're like, eh, it's sleeting, but it's like, eh, it's just business as usual. Here, we get sleet, the D.C. metro area, the bread goes out of stock, the milk's gone, just for like a half inch of snow. Now, we've we've had a weird, we've gotten so much snow in Minneapolis this, this season, it's it's an abnormal amount. So every time, I think every every week, one day a week, it snows. And it's, it is as, as miserable as that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you know, it could be worse. Could be the people in Buffalo who got what? like six feet of snow a couple, like a month back. Yeah. We normally just get an inch or two at a time. So it's a nuisance that has to get cleaned up. It's not <laughs> like it, uh, it is terrible, but over us, over a winter, it really tries, uh, tries your soul. That's for sure. Uh, gentlemen, we are, you know, coming here to talk again, uh, vast reaches unclaimed is releasing on, 20 buck spin on march 3rd uh what a banger debut you guys have on your hands here like the kids say now nowadays <laughs> but you guys are not unknown to the metal realm you know metalheads know your guys work in obsequy and in exorum um i'm a butcher of the English language. So other words that may be dancing around, please forgive if I butcher your band's names or anything like that. I mean, no harm. I am just a mush mouth sometimes. No worries. Um, guys, how did this, I know I hate to ask a question that's probably going to be asked a bunch, but Tanner or Carl or Matt, who, who wants to take it first? How did this project, this, 
this love letter to Gothenburg mellow death take off. How did this project come together? Let's let's give this one to Carl. <laughs> well, uh, so. Uh, this was 2016, 2015, and, and Tanner and I uh, met and started talking about he wanted to to put together a live band for Obsequii. And so I I said, oh, I want to do that. Please let me do that. And he was kind enough to let me join in. And so we spent, um, I don't know, a good year getting ready for playing live shows. And he basically was building a new band um, just to, to play uh play live and I think one day I just brought a I just had a riff that I was warming up with and Tanner said hey wait a minute what what's that and I said I don't I don't know it's just <laughs> something I'm, I'm screwing around with and we started talking about we should do a melodic death metal record because you know we're we're so focused on learning all these obsequi songs and getting them ready to play out and that's you know that's hard work and building a new band a live band for shows is, you know, from, from scratch was, was a, a project of itself. So having a chance to also do something creative, uh, I think was, you know, we were both really stoked to do that. So we would, we just started getting together on, um, you know, once a week uh, and sitting down in front of Tanner's computer and just passing the guitar back and forth and seeing what we could come up with. And it, it just snowballed. We, I don't know, at, at that first round of writing, we came up with something like 20 some song ideas that uh, we had to kind of call down to to come up with for this this album. Uh, but it it was just like effortless uh, and a really fun process that we we really drug it out. I don't know how many years we spent on the, the first batch of songs, but we, we we strung it out for a while because it was just so much fun. You know, is it? To string it out so long, is it hard when, you know, pat yourself on the back here to know that you kind of have lightning in the bottle, like you have something special here? Is it hard to kind of sit on something that you almost want to release it to the world? Was that kind of hard, Carl? Uh, you know, there's always that pressure, but I guess I, I, I feel like I've done that so many times. I mean, I have on hard drives you know, so much unreleased music that I, I kind of got over that, that burning desire that everyone has to hear everything I do. Um, and it, it, it came more of a, a state where I was feeling like this needs to be, needs to be done in a special way. It needs to be handled with the reverence that I have for this process and for my friendship with, with Tanner and Matt, that it mm -hmm. needs to be a way that it needs to be done in a, in a way that really elevates it beyond just yeah this is cool I, I you know hope people like my my nod to the the greats you know I, we wanted it to stand on its own so that that took a little extra well, time you know when you gentlemen are surrounded with so much music is it rare to have that moment where you kind of have that head tilt like oh what was that is it rare that that something still surprises you or excites you in the sense of like listening to music or, yes or... in in the sense of listening to music or playing it yourself or being around friends because you see from a little riff like that a project has almost been been born yeah i think um i think you know melodic death metal just by itself like 
to anyone who may or may not have an idea of what that is, you know, like what made it special um, to me, like when Carl was playing a riff is it didn't sound like, you know, basically like melodic death metal of the past 25 years, you know, it sounded like the real, the kind of like, you know, yeah, the no fashion school, the, you mm -hmm. know, I'd say pre 96, I'd say really like pre 98, <laughs> you know, there is a difference. That's like when the explosion happened, when a lot of bands were just like soaking up their environments and the bands they shared studios, rehearsal spaces with members, you know, um, so it's not so much like, oh, isn't it cool? We both like this very common style of music. It's it's sort of like, isn't it cool that we understand like the first, like the <laughs> the early version of this language and that what gives us a lot of thrill to listen to it and find an amazing idea again and again is sort of not the rawness or anything. Um, I guess there are characteristics of those albums that um, still amaze me. Uh, a lot of times it'll sound like, you know, maybe a few people were a part of the writing process, but like one person got their way and it didn't go quite right. But those 20 seconds are like the basis of what a, an entire song in my head is going to be. You know, like those accidents are kind of what I live for. I don't want to hear a perfect melodic death metal record. They've been coming out for decades and i don't care <laughs> you know you know tanner re really quick to you know i i am 40 years old and i just turned 40 a couple weeks ago you know it still sounds crazy to say can, that I'm, i i just turned uh, 40 on january 17th when's your birthday january 10th oh man wow yeah you know that tanner doesn't it doesn't it still feel weird when you look back you're like my god it, i was just great it still feels like i was just graduating high school yeah, it's, oh. it's it's wild. <laughs> um, you know, Tanner, so you can relate, you know, if if Matt and Carl are older or younger, you know, you guys will get there or, you know, you could say we've already been there. Already um, been there. <laughs> Ten years ago. I just turned 50. OK, so, you know, we're still we're still young, young uh, sprouts. Um, I, you guys probably can all speak on this. Do you remember when Reroute to Remain came out? And then there was just this explosion of so many bands that were trying to do that. And yeah. we're doing that for a long time and stuff like this. A hundred percent. No, I do not remember that because I remember in high school, it might've been, it was whenever in flames first came, it might've been the second time. Cause I think they came to Milwaukee metal fest and I didn't see them, but might've been like 2000. I don't know. I dropped off after whatever came after Horacle. And I was really adamant. I was really proud of like what an asshole I was, even at a young age that I was like, if Dark Tranquility is coming to town, like I'm already six years too late. They're not playing Skydancer. I don't want to see that, you know? And it was sort of one of those things where I was very protective of the worst kind of enthusiast where if I saw someone else wearing a shirt of the same band, I was like, that band's dead to me, you know? So <laughs> I don't, I don't want to like, yeah, no, I have no idea what happened to Reroute to Remain. I think at that point I had, completely giving myself to like the most inaccessible metal. And if someone else liked that kind of metal, then I was listening to Mersbau or something, you know? <laughs> wow. Hey, you know, well, so, so Tanner was uh, off the ship of Celtic frost before cold, cold Lake was put out Yeah, before, <laughs> before the zippers were. were <laughs> okay. So, so 
So, so Matt, how did your involvement in this project come about? That's a great question. <laughs> um, I've been. Hey, what is this guy doing here? What's this? Yeah, exactly. I'm the. I will be. Uh, the. I. I've been friends with Carl now for quite a while, and we've worked together in other bands, and as with me as a producer, and now as a bandmate. And uh, I met Tanner through Carl, and uh, we all just became good friends hanging out and i'll be the first to admit that i'm a huge fan of metal but these guys have schooled me on so much stuff um that when they started talking about melodic death metal i'm thinking i'm thinking about all the stuff that <laughs> tanner talks about in the last 25 years but i didn't realize this rich history of it and so i've been the student of it now for for a little while and i get i i get super excited when when uh i find a band they've been talking about and i get to go all the way back to the beginning and now i have quite the the demo collection on on my computer here in the studio and i and i sit down and and i read about all this stuff and the, and the thing that i love about it is uh i get to play music created by these guys and and it's so much fun and it's and it's an honor to do so but uh, i'm a producer by trade and uh played in the next room with with carl since day one and got brought on to the obsequii live gig back in 2018 i think and uh just absolutely having the time of my life digging into this music now and being a part of it do was was your background growing up and through your recording years and musical years was were you a rock guy? Were you a country guy? Were you always leaning towards metal? Or did Carl come into your life and it's like, oh, Carl, like <laughs> yeah. Carl? Okay, so I I, I grew up with, uh, a huge metalhead, and when I started playing guitar thirty five years ago, I had cousins and stuff like that who got me into like early Def Leppard and rush and stuff like that and then i started to find my way and, and and about as heavy and i hate to say it but about as heavy as i ever got is i got into morbid angels first few records i love obituary and then right around 92 i went to school for music and i became a jazz snob oh okay so like the heaviest thing i would listen to back then would probably be cynic and stuff like that and so I, I kind of put all my metal dreams away because it's soon, I'll, I'll tell you a, a short story. When I moved here in Minneapolis in the uh, first week of June in 1992, I put up little postcard or little uh, three by five cards in like every grocery store and every music store I could find within about a 50 mile radius of where I was living, looking for like minded metal musicians. And then I would look in the back of the local uh, artist magazine called City Pages. And I would see guys looking for guitar players for metal bands. So I went and did about 10 auditions for bands when I got here. And all I met were some of the skeeziest dudes <laughs> that I never wanted to be in the same room as. Who were, you know, more about smoking stuff in a pipe. And I'm not... <laughs> no, nobody could play. And so, and, and so I just wasn't meeting the right guys. I was... I was just not there. So I, I just refined... Or I re they all I, look like the guy from Pentagram now. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and I was really excited. I went to the Minneapolis Metal Fest a couple times and, and was really stoked by that, but never really, I just never quite fell into, I could never find the, where the entry point for the scene was. And so I just kind of gave up and said, I'm just going to become the best guitar player I can be. 
And when I find the right people, I will get back to metal. So I gave up metal for, for a while. I still listen to stuff, but it was still kind of, it wasn't considering I was right there at the era of when melodic death metal was just taken off. I, I wish I would have found an entry point there, but I never did. Anyways, I'll fast forward through all that. I, I make, I play guitar and bass and I've made records for 25 years and I've made rock records, alt records, a lot of post kind of hardcore records and, and country. And, um, Carl and I made a record together. When was that? It'd be 2008, seven. And, uh, Maybe even maybe even 2006. But anyways, Carl and I worked on another band together. I produced for him and we were neighbors. Actually, we didn't even know it. We lived about a half a block from each other for a few years and had no idea. Um, and then around 2009, 2010, somehow Carl and I started talking about metal. Actually, he reached out because he was doing a metal band and asked if I knew of any vocalists. And I listened to it. Uh, that was Antiverse, the very beginning of Antiverse and absolutely fell in love with it. And uh, I asked Carl, I said, I don't know any singers, but if, do you have a second guitar player? Because I would, this would be my dream to play, play this stuff. And that's how it got started. We started doing Antiverse, got really serious about it. And uh, there, it's just been an abs, uh, it's been growing from there ever since. That, you know, that's, that's interesting. You know, I have, I, I have to ask this because, you know, you know, you mentioned being into jazz and be, before we move on, I have to ask, I, you know, I will admit, if it's not heavy metal, I don't listen to it um, to my probably detriment. But I have interviewed hundreds of artists over the years, and jazz always comes up at for the technicality in it and the skill involved to really play good jazz. Are jazz people like metalheads? Are, are, are jazz people like young tanners? Where if it's not a certain uh, level, you know they're raising their nose up at it. Yeah, some are, especially <laughs> young musicians. I think that's a trait for any young musician, but especially guys who are. I find like, like who who know music at that level are kind of the most. Uh, how can I put this? Persnickety about their their material when they're young, and they're also the most passionate about it because it's 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 probably the two forms of music that get kicked back the most and the least amount of respect for compared to the, how much work they have to have to actually do not only to be a player, but to be a listener, you have to, you have to dig in and the guys that are passionate about it form pretty strong opinions pretty early on. So, yeah, I, I have, I, I could see that. Uh, Tanner, when 2016, you know, when, when Carl mentioned 2016, 2017, when the, the gear started, rolling when um did you guys start laying down tracks or when did when did the the treads start really rolling and you guys were uh starting to formulate the album that we have now yeah like carl said i think it happened pretty quick like it definitely was 2016 one of the funny things too is i think we might have got together like once or twice before but carl and i had both had like four track um recordings of like <clears throat> his old band um i'm assuming if it wasn't for krakatoa it was for something but you had a bunch of melodic death metal riffs and um yeah and, i mean i know i'm i'm only 40 but uh in the you know in the 90s and i guess 2000 i was really in interested in 
recording. I was more interested in recording when I got a four track player than the guitar in my hands, you know? So like, uh, I have just hours and hours of riffs. A lot of them the become Obsequia songs that didn't go to the band before that. And yeah, so we, we had a lot of fun, like sort of excavating, uh, things, you know, things that were actually written during that time, which is kind of fun. Uh, so yeah, it came together really quick. You know, do you, you know, what, like, for example, when, when you were working on su- suspended in the room, when you were, were, were doing that, do, are, are you, this isn't a product that comes for you not being satisfied with anything. It's just, this is just you just loving music. Correct. Yeah, I mean, but, yeah, I think melodic death metal was the reason I started playing guitar. You know, like I, I started playing along to Dark Tranquility's Sky Dancer, and um, I think pulling melodies from you know a lot of those bands. So it is very much like a first language, if not a first language. It's definitely like the way I understood music was pulling leads, mm-hmm. and then you know like taking off one headphone to listen to like the right side like what's that guitar doing i love uh dual harmony uh it's something i explore a lot and i love listening to but um i love i love the kind of chaotic like things of early melodic death metal where like you think you're hearing a strong melody and really when you isolate them on like either side of the headphones or if it's you know panned hard or something like the less dumb voicing of the harmony is always like a real interesting one especially when it's moving in in ways that aren't as like traditionally harmonious you know uh i don't know what was you're the good. question again <laughs> no I, 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 it's 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 you know I'm, I'm what i'm asking with these these questions and where i was was going with this is is that i i always like how how projects formulate and especially guys who have so many different bands because it's cool it's cool how many different hats an artist can wear of of so many different styles and stuff yeah so i guess like for me this style came first and uh for for me personally mm-hmm. so even though i've taken like a couple different directions you know um uh, I guess when I started Obsequia, I was definitely a, a want, a, a need to merge uh, a couple of different ideas, but mm-hmm. it's all informed uh, by listening to albums like Skydancer. Or, you know, yeah. Carl, when, when, when you start to formulate these riffs, how much of this, you know, when the scene was starting, how much, you know, of course, overseas in, in, in Sweden and stuff like that, uh, when this genre was getting off the grounds and, and gears were starting to turn. How much of this, though, is a product of the scene and the environment and other bands and friends and stuff? Do you think you guys are were at maybe a disadvantage without having others to bounce stuff off of? Or did you think kind of being on your own little island here doing something, which is so cool because I get so many promo emails thrown in my email box every day no disrespect to any band or any artist but a lot of them sound very rubber stamped so when this came across and i listened to it i couldn't email my buddy dave quick enough requesting an interview 
because this is a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. So uh, where, where I was going with this is, is that, do you think it helped you guys kind of being on your own here stateside doing this and not in an up and coming genre where the dark tranquility, the inflames and others were starting to, to do this. And you guys just obviously had a discography of a couple of decades of music to learn from or your own personal experience or did it kind of hamper it that uh, you guys are kind of doing this on your own for something that not a lot of other bands are doing right now in 2023? Well, speaking for myself, I had an experience similar to what Matt described in that when I, I've been playing guitar since uh, for, for a few years before the this first wave of melodic death metal had, had come in and I kind of grew up on thrash. That That's mm-hmm. really what, what it's hooks in me as far as where I learned to play and then just followed as you know death metal came along and and then I I heard this stuff that was coming out of out of Sweden on that wrong again records comp that was the first time I heard it and it was that was like exactly what I wanted to hear um and it it felt natural to me because I'd also you know I'd grown up on stuff like Iron Maiden and you know and traditional heavy metal that's a big framework too of that twin guitar stuff so I, I remember that that being like, oh, this is what I really wanted to hear. And I and to your point, I didn't know hardly I hardly knew anyone who even liked this stuff. I mean, I I had at that time, I guess in 94, 95, mm-hmm. I had maybe three to four friends who really liked metal. And so I felt, you know, I felt the same way. I wanted to play it, but I couldn't find anyone who who was really, really interested. And even even musicians who liked it were kind of like ah i can't i don't want to play metal let's you know i'm okay playing hardcore but i don't want to i don't want metals too too much man so i i i was in that same sort of wilderness that that matt described and that it was just hard to find people play it so i i just make tapes at home for myself like i that that's where all my riff tapes came from it's just for my own i i have i love this stuff i have to get it out of me and i'm going to put it on a cassette and it, you know, all, this stuff just built up over the years. And it, it got, it's nice because now when people maybe could, you know, enjoy hearing this style again after after a while, uh, it's, it's nice to have had the opportunity in the last few years to meet Tanner and to get back together with Matt and just, you know, this is what I've been dreaming of all of that time. And it just took longer than my uh my younger self would have liked but um the fact that it, it got here and came together the way it did is is exactly what i had dreamed of again it just took way longer hey matt how you know what what you know musically and and now what you've learned playing this style of music how, how hard is it for you guys and now i know you know technology you know recording and stuff like that but how hard is it to get this sound that you guys have as a three piece? I don't I I don't think it's very difficult to get at all. And here's the reason why. Um Tanner and Carl knew exactly what they were looking for from the get-go. Like they knew the guitar sound from you know, from even a particular record that they're looking for to get it to get it to sit right. And so for me, my job is really quite simple. I literally just played bass and and occasionally Tanner would consult me on something uh, as they were putting it together. But Carl and Tanner are the guys who really had the vision to not only 
put in just the right amount of the sound that influenced them so heavily, but also to keep a, a good amount of their own personality mixed in there with it. So what you have is technologically, I don't think it was very difficult to reach at all. It just, uh, it just kind of flows naturally with, from those guys. Hey, Matt, you know, when, when you met these guys in this project, uh started in in and stuff like this and you know cool real quick you know to sidetrack here where where carl mentioned growing up in minnesota and only knowing a couple of people and stuff like like that how were you guys being exposed to uh new bands then because you know you you mentioned you know putting up flyers and stuff like that and i quickly wanted to come back to it before i forgot it was it the same way trying to find new music? Did you, did you have, were there any great metal zines in the Minnesota area, the Minneapolis area that, you know, was, was really putting up bands or flyers or magazines or were you guys having just going to the record store and hoping that you guys lucked out with what you found there? The root of all evil. Um, and, and Earl root, um was a big deal he had a, a a record store called root seller and that for me was where i got all of these imports um so i the, the root of all evil was a radio show that's still going um and earl passed away a, a few years ago and and that's a testament to you know what he built with that that it, that's that show is still going but he's uh he, he his store was how i found a lot of this stuff um and and then you know a couple of buddies who were, were just um, again as obsessed with with heavy metal as I was, and we were just buying stuff almost sight unseen. Like, was it on a cool label? And did it have a cool cover? One of us would buy it, and you know then we'd share it with the with the rest of each other. You know, just oh yeah, I just got the new Seance. It's killer. Oh okay, I guess I'm gonna have to order that. And we we just would order it basically <clears throat> without without hearing it. That's that's kind of what happened in the the, in the early '90s before you know internet access really took off. That's me. that is really cool. Hey, can I really piggyback off that real quick? You mentioned labels and stuff. All three of you you guys here have the experience of working with wonderful labels. At least, of course, you guys know better than I. But uh, the Majesty's album is going to be on twenty bucks spin. You guys have worked with Gilead. You know, you have Carl Matt and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, Tanner, you know, you've worked with, uh, you know, a bunch of the same labels and you've worked on on various other labels. Um, um, you know, your history with 20 Bucks Spin also. I guess it goes without saying what I've seen from like music festivals that Gilead's put on to is it uh, Dave or Dan who runs 20 Bucks Spin? I hear that you guys could not have had a better crew to work with. Yeah, Dave is a, a great friend. Uh, yeah, he he uh, he ran Zines uh, Shortwave Warfare. Um, <clears throat> you know when I guess uh, I was younger, and also he worked for Necropolis Records, which everyone remembers. Uh, he's got a great history and he knows exactly what we're doing. I mean, I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people in our age group, because I don't think anyone really knows what to do with like a new melodic death metal record. You know, like, what does it mean in 2023? I, the whole thing is kind of like, 
it's kind of funny that it's coming out in 20 bucks spin because uh, either positive or negative, like definitely a highlight or criticism is like, well, it's a lot of revivalist kinds of styles coming, you know, it's like old school death metal, you know, is that, is that what we're into now? You know, is that what's going on? And is, uh, is Majesty's going to be like the signal for like a resurgence of old school death metal? Is that, you know, the propaganda that Dave is pushing down, you know, like these people, I don't, I don't think so. You know, I think there are a lot of, uh, I, I just think like, this is very fitting, you know, like, I think we, we just kind of, in a in a way we grew up together, even if we were not in the same state or anything like, yeah. I, I feel like the, we had a lot of the same experiences and uh, went through a lot of the same struggles. <laughs> you know, Tanner, you can look at a lot of bands and if one band sees some success, uh, a lot of bands start to copy them. Um, you look at like the cavernous death metal scene over the past couple of years that really blew up. And there was a bunch of cavernous death metal bands. Um, you know, symphonic black metal had its time in the spotlight and stuff like that. How would you feel if you guys are the torchbearers for this resurgence of this genre coming back? That's cool. I mean, it's not going to be the halo effect. <laughs> or in flames, so we'll do it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, because, you know, people... I'm telling you, this will make year-end lists. I am telling you right now. So you will start to see more artists and stuff doing that. I just I just wondered if, uh, you know, you looked at it like, oh, you know, we 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 did it first or something, you know. I don't, I don't think so. I'm sorry. I, I'm smiling in case, like, listeners can't <laughs> respect for these people. And if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. Of course. I think it's hard to pay homage to a style without having a little bit of um i know i mean we're, we're very much taking a, a pretty specific style and a pretty you know like when i think of inflamed subterranean that's very specific where is another record with henke forsch on vocals daniel erlinson on drums uh jesper being more adventurous and like uh layered than even the jester race you know like these are the kinds of things that like we think about when we're creating these songs. And I think we had a lot of fun with, uh, you know, not mimicry necessarily, but, you know, especially going back to those early nineties riff archives, like, yeah, of course, a lot of that is mimicry and you're, you're far enough away from it that you can just listen to it and be like, Oh, that's pretty sick. But who knows what, what we were doing back then. You know, I think we're just kind of, uh, finding a lot of excitement in people's reaction to the record so far, you know, based on, the two singles that have been released or, or like you, the entire album. And of course, the more people that like it, the more stoked we're going to get. I think if we have a voice or a real say in this, uh, I hope this is a good starting point. And I think the next record will definitely be um, very much a majesty's record. You know, it's, I am, I'm, I am glad you mentioned how you did. Cause I interviewed Matt Harvey from exhumed and I'm wearing a gruesome shirt. Also an Acropolis employee like Dave at the same time. Yes, yes, yes. Matt, you know, in gruesome, a lot of people could say, Oh, you're just playing death. 
Well, to like your point, yes, gruesome is like death, but they are just playing paying homage to their the bands they like. They're just trying to shine a light on sounds that they like and just make music that they like. It, 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 you know, you guys have all been in music long enough. You guys know this very well. In 2023, everything has pretty much been done. It, there's yeah. there's nothing wrong with with putting your own spin on it. And I like you guys just doing something different here. Yeah, I, no. mean, I, think, I think that's right. I mean, you know, we're, we're not trying to invent something new. I mean, it, it, those kinds of things happen. And when 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 they do, they're 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 amazing. And, you know, there's what I don't know how many records are released a week. It's something like, you know, you, you have a list at, at nine circles every week. That's like 100 yes. releases along. So there's so much stuff coming out. And and I don't know that I, I remember a new genre being, you know, form formulated in the last couple of years. It's just things that kind of ebb and flow and interest that 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 wanes after you get a certain saturation point. And when we started this, I think one of the things we we felt like is there's not really a lot that's happening that, that sounds like what we wanted here. You know, a lot there were a lot of bands that played melodic versions of death metal but it had moved on i i feel like it had moved into maybe more of a um you know some a, a crowd pleasing you know stadium filling sort of lock and open air kind of feeling where it was it was ready made for for, for anthemic performances and i i think what we were excited about was that sort of nerdy awkward early fledgling stages where it was just riff after riff after riff and melody after melody without necessarily trying to have a pop song structure that would bring in you know the the beer sales at a big festival and so that's that's really that that's what we felt like and then the, the funny thing of course is that a lot of these bands started reuniting and and putting out really cool material that harkens back to their younger days so you know they that that's happening right now too in terms of you know, there's, you know, it's like sarcasm's been putting out cool stuff. Ablaze my sorrows back and and killing it. Fatal Embrace has a new one coming out. All these bands that we we were like, oh man, they're that's the formative stuff. They're they're coming back and even even in Flames, I, I like I I kind of tuned out from their last couple records, but what I've heard of this new one that's coming out, it's like, hey, I like. I have thought theory. the same thing. Yeah. So, you know, I, I can see, you know. For, for those bands, I mean, they've been in that band. For, that band has existed for 25 plus years. And so there, I can see why, you know, after time, you want to try different things. You want to try to have different ways of making a living off of it. And, and that may steer you down different directions. But um, there's something special about this kind of this wild, um, this wild strain of melodic death metal that kind of it was a flash in the pan for a little while and I, I can see why people want to come back to it. And maybe it just need people needed some time away from the sound to, to come back and appreciate hey, it. Again. Carl, wh what, what is it about this and your work with, with Matt? How, why am I not talking to you three guys and you're not in the woods of Minnesota right now with corpse paint, you know, like in immortal clones or mayhem clones. What what is it about this world that excites you? 
We're already too embarrassed of Scandinavians. Uh, you should talk to all of our grandparents. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we, we we've all we've we've kind of dabbled in other other elements of, uh, you know, at least for me, uh, you know, Inexorum's got a, a black metal element, um, you know, that, that I was scratching an itch for an, for another interest mm -hmm. uh, that I had, and and certainly. Um, you know, as 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 kind of an outsider coming into Obsequii, that that scratched an itch I never knew I had. And and when I I, I say that you know there's been no new genres, the one I, I in metal, the one I think that you know has has uh, been something new for me is 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 what Tanner created with Obsequii is is you know the, the early music and the really strong focus on medieval music and integrating that into heavy metal. But um, I, I feel like that's something that, like, I, if I heard other bands trying to do that, I'd be like, oh, wait, no, why? Um, so in, in a way that I'm not as protective around, you know, other other styles. But I don't know, maybe Tanner, I, I don't mean to speak for you about 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 that, but I, I always feel like there's only one castle metal band that I want to hear. And that's hey, you know, <laughs> me as a guy who loves nights and stuff like that, Tanner, when I first found your product, I was like a giddy schoolboy on Christmas. I was like, oh, this is for me. I was so happy. Um, yeah, Tanner, do you want to speak on that? And then I have a question for Matt about the about genres and stuff. Uh is like, yeah, I don't know. Um, you can't control the narrative, right? You know, yeah. like once it's out there, people decide and um, you know, PR campaigns that you oftentimes don't have a hand in, you know, like plant words out there but it becomes you know it just becomes what it does and uh it's yeah i don't know necessarily i can't really speak to like <laughs> carrying a torch or or like making one but i um yeah i guess i guess it's just that you can't you you can't really control yeah yeah you know matt now i i this isn't metal based where i'm going to ask this question but it's it's interesting about accepting and 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 being in new genres being born maybe carl and matt could speak on this really well but matt do you remember when grunge first hit i you was were, i was right at the right age too yeah do how did that sit with you to me grunge when sounded... you saw a genre being born Grunge was interesting because the bands that I actually liked from that era, I knew about before grunge hit, but they got lumped in. Like I was a massive Soundgarden fan from the first record and that was like 87, 88. Um, and then when I started to hear bands like Alice in Chains and stuff like that, I'm like, well, that's kind of like a heavy version of there's a little hair metal element in it. So it's like nothing ever really seemed like grunge until I got told it was grunge for about, you know, 18 months straight. And then all the bands that clearly the second wave and the third wave bands, those guys are the ones that I considered grunge because otherwise it just sounded like classic rock or early heavy metal to me. That's all it sounded like. So I was surprised when they called it something else. And uh, because in, in, in bands like Nirvana too, that just sounded like punk music to me with a, with a little bit of uh that goth element to it where it's kind of sad music but there were there wasn't such a thing as emo or anything like that mm -hmm. back it was like it just sounded like sad emotional lyrics on 
put on to classic rock. So the only reason I, I didn't realize I was watching the birth of the genre until long time after I had heard the word grunge. So, yeah. yeah. Carl, do you have anything to speak on that with the birth of a genre? Cause in, in, in metal, at least, you know, you know, better than I, cause I, I wasn't really listening to music growing up until I hit about 17, 16 is when I really got in music. I was a late bloomer. I was still playing too many video games and, um, um yeah, I mean, I I remember I remember hearing my first uh, thrash records and being like, "This is I need it in my life. It's this is exactly what I wanted." I remember hearing um, death metal for the first time and and feeling like, "Oh yeah, this is this is another uh, new kind of music that is going to consume my my life." And how and about when you heard your first Blind Guardian album? um yeah like that um it was when i heard uh heard halloween that i i remember that uh keeper of the seven keys when that that came out I, that was what sort of i i like you know that that power metal stuff stuck with me and it, it's part of you know all of that kind of fashions its way into what i what i like the one thing i remember hearing that i was like eh, was uh some of the early second wave black metal that you know that's foundational now that now i i like the the dissections and stuff no no that was a that was love at first listen because of you know all the melody but i but like just like you know the uh like uh mayhem i I, like the first time i heard it i didn't get it um i i still don't but that's me personally you know sorry sorry to offend tanner or carl you know sorry to offend no, I mean it's it, it, you know every you know everyone's got their their likes. And I saw it. Mayhem play uh, uh, Damus Smith Mysterium at, at Metal uh, at Maryland Death Fest. I swear to God, I've seen a couple grown men crying. It was like they were like, "Can't believe what they were seeing," and I'm just standing there like, "Oh, what am I even watching?" Yeah, and and I've, I I have since you know I I've come around on on a lot of that stuff, and but you know you have to it has to hit you at the right time in your life and you have to be receptive to to it and i think you you going back to grunge you know i i remember um thinking oh this is kind of cool it's kind of like punk but for the for the radio and so i you know i i was okay with it until you know it's like matt said you got the third or fourth wave of copycats and all they had was a guy kind of yarling and <laughs> you know, some, some light power chords and, and that just didn't really feel like it was authentic anymore. Hey, Tanner, do you remember, you know, about genres and stuff like that was what, you know, you, you guys all play, you know, various instruments and have your hands in, in music and, in, in, in stuff like, like that. Tanner, were, you always this big into metal for you personally growing up was metal always your yeah love i i I don't know i mean i was a pretty angry kid um and so yeah i always sort of like if it it could have been anything uh yeah i I gravitated at a young age um the store that carl was talking about earl roots root seller like his arch nemesis, like the guy that no one wanted to hang out with, um, Don Decker, also of Milwaukee Metal Fest. I worked at his store the day I turned 16, you know, like to to work for the anal blast dude when you're 16 years old. I think that tells you where I was at. <laughs> and there's a type of guy who in high school I used to see wearing the uh, cradle of filth, Jesus is a cunt shirt. And yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, get me away from that guy. 
My mother loaned uh, Nick Crayon, the bass player of Autumnal Winds, uh, when we were 14, the $25 to buy that long sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> From Decker's store? Yep. Yeah. 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 Wow. 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 It's probably hey. where you work there. It's like your mom's, your mom's hot. I hope <laughs> This is total predator. (laughs) Matt, I I really quick have to ask you, you being the recording guy you are, you know, are you able to listen to those albums that are so raw like that? Because I, I tell you what, I don't think maybe I'd be talking to you guys right now if you guys had a poor recording quality. Because I in maybe it's a product of the time and the age, but I cannot justify in 2023 bands having poor recording quality because the equipment and the gear that's out there can make an album sound amazing. And I can't, and I, I know some people love to put on like a Burzum album. I can't understand that. It's- Are you able to listen to stuff, Matt, that has a poor recording quality? Yes, uh, but I wasn't before. I was a pretty big snob for a long time. That was my snob thing. I wasn't a, a like, you know, I only liked them at the demo snob. I was uh, a poor recording or bad samples using the drums or, you know, just anything that didn't fit in the overall sonic picture of the album. I was out. And then I started to realize, well, it doesn't really matter because the songs have to be good. And so that kind of brought me into it. But when I started actually dig deep diving into really raw sounding music, it was in the form of early American recordings and stuff like that, like field recordings. And you start to realize that there's a lot of emotion being captured there, regardless of the quality, the fidelity of the recording. And what I started in, in relation to metal, I started to really understand that it fit if the, it could sound terrible but if it fit the vibe of the music and the atmosphere of the music then i really got into it i started to find things like um the early you know the second wave black metal stuff that i didn't get into for the first i never even heard for the first time until 15 years ago um and i hated it right away and then i started to find the 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 beauty and the rawness of it. And for me, it's actually the first band that sounded like shit that I loved was Celtic Frost. Mm. Those first two records to me still sound terrible, um, but it doesn't matter because the vibe is there, the atmosphere is there. And so that was kind of my gateway into records like that. And then I'll go farther now with, with bands that make records, as long as it all kind of has that, as long as it all works together, um, like the color and the tones and and there's not, they're not trying to fix things too much. I'll love it no matter how raw it is that the songs are there. And, um, you know, I think like, and I'll go back one, I'm running around a lot of it. Like the, no. the first, first early, early, really raw records were like the uh, minor threat, like the early minor, the first minor threat record I really got into. And that sounded terrible. And the black, the first couple of black fly records sounded terrible. Love them. And that was, a little bit of a jump off point for me too. I started to, when I could realize, Oh, they're kind of doing the same thing. Then it was fine. However, I love a fully produced, really well done, meticulous record where you can get all the ugliness in it. 
and then when it's supposed to lift emotionally and it, it does it the right yeah. way it can take you on a an absolute journey and uh, that's yep. what i that's the stuff i live for people can't see this because obviously this is an audio podcast when you're listening to this but matt has a cat that he keeps taking off the uh, desk I want a recording quality so well done that I can hear the little kitty paws in the yep. background somewhere that Matt forgot to clean up fully. Like I love, I just, I, I it's just because I want to put on my nice sun, Sundara headphones. I just, I want it to come over me. Like I'm putting on Steely Dan uh, Asia album and just yep. sweep over me. Yep. That's, that's for me. I have a few records like that that do it for me. Like in Slaves Retear album to me is one of the best produced heavy metal records ever because you put headphones on that record and you hear something new every time the tones are all over the map I, the, the other thing i like about enslaved in particular too is like the guitar tones are still incredibly raw but then you have these beautiful sweeping key patches and vocals and harmonies and the drums are are functioning the way they're supposed to and and that's like always my that's that's like my sweet spot if i could live there all the time i would that's do you have you know i always you know i'm a vinyl record collector and i like to ask fellow record collectors what their white whale uh vinyl record is but i'll ask you in this term what do you have like a gold standard album that's not metal that you say is like this is probably like the greatest recorded you know people always again mention like steely dan is that audiophile quality that asia record is still one of the best sounding records ever recorded um it's it, just i think it's amazing I think Fleetwood Mac Rumors is one of the best recorded records ever. Um, um, and all the uh, the Johnny Cash American recordings are absolutely incredible. And then uh, Damn the Torpedoes by Tom Petty is one of my favorite sounding records. There's just, awesome. they're just, there's just something about it, man. They just absolutely pet my eardrums when I'm listening to them. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Well, Carl, let's let's uh, pet our listeners' ear eardrums here how how uh the lyrics that you guys start to formulate on this you know when you're talking with you know the guys and you guys are all putting your your heads together are you guys you know pulling from other bands for you know inspiration for lyrics or no you this are in, in your, your your guys own heads yeah i, I think um uh... You know, Tanner early on said, "Let's have he like he he got the the sense of wanting to have surrealism be kind of the theme." And we would look at a lot of paintings while we were writing. Like we would play, write, record something, and then he would say, "Let's play play it back," and he pull up some painting that from you know from someone who specializes in surreal art, and we would just look at it, and and that would tell us if we were on the right track emotionally. And so that ideal of surrealism, uh, I think I just kind of took and, and ran with it. I mean, and I don't want to say that I put that much thought into it other than like trying to have stories that I would come up with that that kind of took took me to an escapist place. So, you know, the, they're they're all little tales of, of strange things happening that are beyond just mundane day to day existence. Um, I don't think I had any other bands in mind while I was writing it. I just didn't, I didn't want them to be hokey, but I wanted to try to have something that evoked a feeling of, you know, not day-to-day -day experience. So they're not about emotions. They're, they're not about 
feelings or current events. They're they're more about just trying to capture a sense of being somewhere else or looking at the world a different way. Um, that was really the only guideline I set out for with with writing this stuff. See, I'd be no help. I'd be looking at an Andy Warhol painting, and I still couldn't get it. <laughs> you know, a, a real simple painting of a soup can, and I'd still be like, "What's it mean?" I, I, uh, Tanner, when 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 Carl goes with the lyrics and stuff like this, do you guys give any input to him, or you just let him just go with it? Uh, yeah, I don't. I think the lyrics were perfect. Um, I yeah, I really don't feel like. I gave any uh, input or like or feedback that was like uh, this could be changed. Like Carl's an excellent writer, exceptional, really. I, um, if you said you, you didn't try that hard or however you phrase it, I mean, I'd be scared if you did. Um, it's 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 great. You're really well spoken. And you write well. Uh, it's it's very fun to sing those lyrics. You know what you you guys have about you, and I mean this. This is the you know I've I said before I hit the record button, and our listeners know I'm you know I I'm I'm pretty rough on myself, but I mean it in good good humor. Um, I have horrible writing skills, so I chat because I have the gift of of gab. But I'm going to give you my guys' review to put the sticker on the album. You guys, this this sounds like it's your guys' third or fourth album. Like you guys, like really, it is so impressive how this is your guys for this project. This is a debut re release. Like it, this has such a mature, structured, for lack of a better term, brotherhood that you guys have, where the pieces just fit so well that it's it's it. Your guys' history all kind of speaks volumes here with the the product that you guys are about to unleash again on, on March 3rd. Um, Thank you. That's, that's really, really kind. And you know, I think, I think the thing about this is this, it was born out of just friends wanting to spend more time with each other. I mean, that's the, that's the ultimate reason why we did this. I mean, I, I, I don't think, I don't Tanner, if you thought that, and even even had a thought that anyone would ever hear this. We thought it, this could very well be something that we, ends up on a hard drive that only we and a couple of our friends hear. But it was recordings like that that will yeah. never see the light of day. We almost got to that dangerous point where it was ninety five percent done and just sat there, which is like the scariest point for something to be. But yeah, it was about being friends, like sharing something. But you you know you know you you talk about friends sharing and something like this. Matt, your experience with working there, and Carl, you know, I'll let you, I'll open the floor to all you guys on 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 this. How much of this process do you think is made best, being that you guys can all get together and do it? Because you look at the age of the internet; so many bands, guys can never meet, hmm. and they can formulate bands. And there's been some pretty big projects that get together and play you know one like they play fire in the mountains and that's their first time playing a live gig or they play you know my gration fest or something big well, I'm that's trying. Gonna be a, that'll be a factor for us now that 
you know, Tanner lives in a, a different city. We, we don't get together in person as much, but, um, you know, for going forward for, for the next record, I think we, we've learned enough about what, what this band sounds like that we can, and we can write, even if we're not in the same room together. Um, and we know how to, we know how to do that process. Um, and we'll, we'll find ways to, to be in the same room to, to work on the stuff, you know, when it, when it needs to have us present, but that's the beauty of having this first record done the way we did it is that that helped us to get our, to, to figure out what we wanted this to be. And now we know and have visions for how the next one's going to work. I think it'll be just as fine. I mean, yeah, probably less, you know, not, you know, high fives and, you know, oh, that was great. That kind of immediate satisfaction when, you know, one person plays a riff and the other, you know, says, give me that guitar. I've got to play a harmony to that right now, but it'll be, it'll be pretty similar to that. It'll just be a little bit, you know, we won't, I won't be able to see Tanner's face light up or he won't be able to see, oh. me, you know, uh, cringing because I have to try to come up with something to, to keep up with an awesome riff that he just wrote. So, but, but it, it, we'll, we'll make it work. Hey, um, Matt, I have to ask you a couple more questions. And I'll let you guys go and you can enjoy your day and I can check my fantasy hockey scores and see how bad I'm getting crushed this all-star week. Um, Matt, when these two guys, you know, and you guys have this, this project here, you guys are releasing this on LP, CD, cassette, digital formats, you being the big audio guy and stuff like that. Is there any format that you mind people list like are you a stickler for hey, digital is the best way yep you're you have you're a vinyl guy you're a the, my two favorite things are when i listen to the majesty's record i listen to the vinyl master digitally if that makes any sense it does <laughs> it does yeah because when it's mastered it's 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 the full fidelity they just have to bring it down it's a channel channel the bandwidth a little bit to fit on the record for low end and such but i'll always tell people if you have a chance to listen to it um on vinyl start there uh because i don't like streaming i don't like the sound of a lot of streaming services uh title sounds really good and apple music now sounds really good because you're getting the fidelity file matt i have to ask you be honest with me here i'm putting you on the line as carl and tanner as my witness can you, with your professional ears, hear the difference between lossless and a normal loss file? I don't know what the opposite like, is. Like just a, a regular... Between like a normal song and a title song. Oh yeah, definitely. If you listen to... And this is how to, the easy way to do it is listen listen to something on Spotify a few times and then go listen to Apple Music. And it's it just... It's so much better now. It, it wasn't different for a long time, but um and now now I, i've finally switched over i still have spotify accounts i got all my i got hundreds and hundreds of playlists that i don't want to lose um but apple sounds so much better and i remember just think reaching out to carl a couple months or um what was it oh, i was listening to next room that's what i was listening to the last next room record uh because when i finally got my apple account i just started listening to it uh that an extra record because i was so familiar with it the last one and it sounds so much better than Spotify. It's shocking. It sounds so much closer to the actual full mix. And um, yeah, you can definitely hear the difference. You just got to flip flop between the two. 
you know, us loving music and stuff like this, I have to ask just from a, a, a personal note, you know, to my left, I have a bunch of headphone cans and I have a bunch of in-ear monitors and stuff like that. Do you EQ your headphones? No, and I've tried to, and I use um, Sonarworks mm -hmm. to mix on headphones like my go-to. I'll use the Bayer DT770s, the same ones Tanner's got. I use those for 15, 20 years. And now I've got the Sennheiser uh, Openbacks. The those are the HD 600s? Yeah. These yep. are the ones all the time now because it's just less less fatigue and more accurate for mixing. It's not great for mixing on headphones ever, but it'll get you a lot of the way there. And it's I uh, those are my favorite ones now. And I know there's a lot of really, really high-end, super expensive over the over the years available now for studios in particular but i just can't bring myself to spend fifteen hundred dollars on a pair of headphones i have in years that cost that much but that's for a very different purpose you know because i asked because in the headphone world there's a lot of people who are buying like i wear the hi-fi uh sundaras and i i love mm -hmm. them they're a planner uh op open back but i tune them to the hive to the uh harman curve yeah. And a lot of people yeah. say, well, if you are if everybody's targeting all their headphones to the Harman curve, then you're making them sound similar. And it's almost kind of like, well, are you taking a Corvette and tuning it to drive like a Lamborghini or a Porsche? And a lot of people that on the camp of not EQing, they say you do it so each headphone's characteristic shines. Yeah, there is there is that to be said, but for me, I'm always flat, just because I I have to know that I have a true north whenever I put these things on. Like I, it's not hyped in any way, and and uh, when I I actually mixed the Nextrum record on a pair of Apple, uh, um, AirPod Maxes, the over the ears, and made sure they were made sure they were flat and. Um, and actually, you know, really, you know what? You know, there's somebody out there right now listening to this, Carl and Matt, who's like, I fucking knew it. I knew <laughs> it. I knew there was some reason why it sounded like that. <laughs> it's I will say this. It sounds it's it sounds that record in particular, I think, is made for headphones because there's so much detail work going on. Uh that when I listen to it in my studio downstairs, I really like I get the overwhelming, overwhelming atmosphere of it. Uh and it's and I love it but it kind of it's almost like the big waves that keep coming at you in a mix like that can sometimes overwhelm you and when you can when you can put on a nice pair of headphones you can sit down maybe turn it down just a little bit and you just get lost in that beautiful detail because there's melodies it's almost like a it's like a meteor shower of melodies happening in there here comes one here comes another one and they all kind of come together at the end and make this this massive massive uh crescendo and and that's made for head to me that's where headphones shine is detail-oriented music like the next room records uh it's so much easier to get emotionally involved in those records when i've got it on my ears when do you listen to in-ears uh i use in-ears for live oh okay okay i've got a crazy set of molded in-ears with 12 drivers and cost too much money and and i still take one out every time i play <laughs> uh tanner what can we expect after Vast Reaches Unclaimed is released again on March 3rd, 
maybe, you know, this always happens. I do an interview and I finish and then they say, I can't speak on anything. And then before I know it, the band's playing fire in the mountains next year or something like that, or they're playing 70 tons or whatever cool project they're doing. Um, or they're going on a little mini tour or whatever. Uh, what does the summer and fall and winter hold for Majesties ahead? Well, uh, I promise we don't have any surprises like that because <laughs> we've been surprised with a lot of like, holy shit, are you serious? Like tour offers uh, right now. And we don't even have a live band put together for this. So it's not possible right now. I think what we'll do is um, is figure it out. I shouldn't speak on behalf of all of us, but I think the consensus is we're going to be passing some, some things back and forth and also putting some attention to uh, our own projects as well. So we're just kind of all getting situated, uh, you know, with, with the record coming out. Yeah. You know, Tanner, that's a really good thing you, you mentioned, you know, you talk about that balance with, with your own projects. How do you make sure your own projects don't get left in the dust and people are like, like me, you can't see it here. I'm a huge Opeth guy. Opeth is my favorite band. That's, that's just me. Some people may say Opeth isn't Opeth anymore, but that's just me. When the other members started branching out, you know, Mike was doing his work, you know, with Bloodbath and stuff. People were like, oh, you know, I like Bloodbath and stuff. And they were worried that bands were getting left in the, the dust. How do you not let that happen? Well, um, generally speaking, I think just making sure that, uh, like anything, um, you make the time and you schedule it. And if you have to break it, that's okay. You know, you can come back to it, but having even just a time slot during the day that you can put in is important, but not generally speaking, I have no fucking idea because I moved the same week as the Obsequia drummer. He moved to Dublin. I moved to Boston, you know, so we are, we have always been distant. You know, he was in Austin when I was in Minneapolis. Um, so yeah, it's always a concern. It's always something that we're navigating and figuring out. But uh, I think when you've got the kinds of bonds that we have, Carl, Matt, and I have, by the way, Owen and I have all of us as friends, uh, is there's more than just kind of like staying in touch. Like there's a real drive, there's a real need to, um, as Carl said, like we did this to be better friends and, you know, we're going to get guitar married one day, you know? So we, we definitely have to make the time. We need to make the time to uh, give attention to our own projects and and this, you know? You know, that's what, like I mentioned, you guys, the mat maturity, the experience that shines through. That's, you know, I mentioned before I hit the record button, and our listeners know this, that I had to retire early on disability with heart failure. Mm -hmm. um, I have a def defibrillator and stuff now that keep, keeps me going. Um, I... Um, lost a lot of friends when I had to retire from my career. And, you know, I realized that where the people I thought were friends weren't, weren't there for me, but where I'm going with all this is, is that you guys, it really shines through how good of friends you guys are. And it seems like you guys just want to be there to prop one and the other up. It seems like you guys, you know, I don't want to speak for you guys, but it seems like I could see you guys having like a, a rolling group text message going or something like that, or you guys are, you know, sending memes back and forth or sending music back. I mean, you guys just really seem like you have a close knit thing that it's no matter what happens, 
behind the scenes or other projects and stuff. Um, you guys, it seems like you guys roots will always be, uh, deeply planted. Um, are there really quick, you know, last questions, um, any projects that you guys haven't been asked to do yet that in a perfect world you could spread your wings and do? Any type of music you'd love to play? Like, Matt, would you love to be playing jazz? You know, Carl, no. we mentioned it earlier, you know. Um, like, uh, Halloween, would you love to be playing power metal? Like, what would you guys, if you could, what would you love to be spreading your wings and playing? Well, I... I feel like I'm pretty, pretty lucky right now in the last, you know, five, six years, I've gotten to, to kind of chase all these different, you know, dreams that I've had in terms of stuff I like. I, I play uh, with a, with a, a, a local uh, guy who's a synth wave. Uh, oh, cool. Artist. And I've always liked synthesizer music, but I've never really, you know, got, you know, I've been a guitar player, so it's been fun to, fun to do that. And, and that's, that's a stretch my wings. I, don't really have anything else that's an unscratched itch i've you know i've kind of chased after all the things mm. that I'm, i know i'm interested in now but i i hope i keep discovering new things and getting excited about it i mean you know tanner um got, got me interested in, in in a bunch of instruments that i'd never considered before through through early music and so you know hammer dulcimer and and harp and uh, you know, maybe one of these days I will actually try to learn another instrument that like hammered dulcimer seems like it would be really fun to, to play around with. So maybe, maybe that's a, that's a, a future muse to chase, but, but right now I just feel really lucky that. Do you play a hurdy gurdy Tanner? <laughs> like, you know, playing pirate songs. <laughs> I try not to, but how's this? I own one. Yeah. Do you really? I own two, yeah. <laughs> oh, that is so badass. <laughs> that is so badass. Uh what what where did this uh playing all these instruments come from? Is this from your parents or you just picked it up on your own? Like some kids pick up uh a sport, like a, a baseball bat, football, basketball, where you just picking up different instruments? Uh well, yeah, I guess like I I don't know how unconventional, you know, like harp is necessarily, but my mom was a harp player. So, you know, we had one and, uh, well in 2023, I don't know too many people who are playing a killer harp, but I'm not in those circles, you know, I mean, growing up, uh, like my parents had a lot of, um, a lot of ECM records stuff. So a lot of jazz, uh, and a lot of folk. Um, so not so much classical, you know, but like, yeah, I, it was it was pretty natural for me. I've always especially liked the sort of lilt of Celtic music. I wouldn't tell many people that because of what it it just doesn't feel right. You know, it's like very specific kinds and styles of like like Breton. And I liked I liked River Dance when it came out. Oh yeah, <laughs> I have no idea actually. I've never I've seen people dance, but yeah. Okay, no. okay, okay. You, you know, it's but Tanner it does. Yeah, Coltrane is the best dungeon synth artist of all time, Lord of Lords, you know. <laughs> okay, guys, you know, we really quick, this is really interesting then. You know, this is a great segue, and then I promise I will will let you guys go. I mean, we, we could talk for hours. I don't want to keep you guys from, you know, your partners or families or anything like that. I don't, I don't want to be rude. Um, 
what did you guys think? We talk about spreading wings. What did you guys think personally? If you listen to it, if you say Buke, I didn't listen to it. What did you think of like when the Blood Incantation guys released Time Wave Zero last year, and that was that Dungeon Synth? Yeah, Paul Rydell is a good friend. I I receive texts from him of like since stuff he has done. Like I got one like less than five or six days ago. <laughs> known him since he was in Leech, you know. Yeah. Um, no surprise here. Um. I've always, I've always known there's a lot of drone nerdiness and uh, things to celebrate in that, that whole crew. Yeah. You know, I interviewed, who is it? Paul's girlfriend in Ace Phallix. Is that, is that, uh, uh, yeah, the base, she's the bass player for him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she, she does, uh, she does a few different projects. Yes. I'm drawing a blank on her name right now, but but she, when I interviewed her, she said, "Yeah, the guys just are into this stuff, and they wanted to just do something that was fun." Yeah, and, I mean Isaac too, uh, the drummer. I mean he's he's always all, all of them are like insane audio, just just devour, you know, music. So. Yeah. Well. Okay, Matt, and what about you spreading your wings? Anything you uh, that playing with Carl and Tanner here doesn't scratch an itch for you that you would like to scratch? I would love to find a way to write, or I'd like to find my way to writing a record someday that in, that I can uh, basically do depressive prog vocal metal, if that makes any sense. Uh, in the way how Carl will do seven guitar tracks on one tune, I want to find a way to elevate a metal track with vocals in that way. With between, I, I'm a sucker for vocal harmonies. And you I have a favorite frontman, a favorite vocalist. Mine's Ronnie James Dio, but well, you can't deny Dio. But I'm, I look at the the character of a solo singer and the character of a harmony singer, and so for me, Lindsey Buckingham is one of the best. Mm-hmm. And I'm a huge fan of of uh, obviously of, of uh, uh, Chris Cornell and stuff like that. But and then uh, so like, let's put it this way: if I could find there's certain music on early Crosby, Stills, and Nash records that are really heavy vocally, if that makes any sense. I'm talking like the stuff that's not on the radio still. Like they they get into a particular blend in their vocals and the in the song arrangement that has a lot of emotional impact. And I would love to find a way to take the power of um, a lot of the, I mean, I grew up on The Cure and stuff like that when I was when I was young and I loved the, the, the really heavy atmosphere of that. If I could find a way to do that involved in Prague uh, with the odd time signatures and uh, the dissonance of, of like a Voivod record and then stack vocals on top of that in a, in a, there's a way to harmonize guttural vocals and uh, traditional vocals. I would love to find it. I haven't found it yet. I have uh, little templates of, of things that I've messed around with to try and find my way in, but I I don't know whether to lead with the vocal, like literally write all my vocal parts and then add music to it to support mm-hmm. it or do it the traditional way of writing music and then build vocals on top of it. So that's, that's really interesting. Uh, Carl, last, last question for you, sir. How do you, you know, you mentioned that, you know, these re- recordings have been around for years or various riffs or something like that. You know, in this digital age, 
Are you doing anything to preserve these so they're not just lost for time? Yeah, I, I did uh, go through and take all my cassette tapes and um, dumped them into my computer, just recorded them over the span of a few days to just to get the, the ideas off of cassettes. Mm -hmm. I don't even have a working cassette player anymore. So it's kind of like, I have to do this or the stuff is going to be lost forever. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely did, did that. And, and uh, certainly um, it helped me to rediscover some things that I had forgotten about. And a few of those ideas worked their ways into, into various songs for, for majesties, which was really fun and, and kind of a way to reconnect with my younger, more, optimistic self and in a way that kind of rekindled some optimism again in in uh in the form of what's happening with this band right now so so it was a good thing and uh, tanner and and all all of you guys you know being so ingrained in music i you know i've interviewed upstart bands who you know music's a big part of their life and stuff like that but you guys really are really plugged in to music you guys you know from tanner working at record stores at a young age you know carl you know you're writing and 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 you know you being in the scene for decades and stuff like that matt with the re recording and stuff like that how was the pandemic for you guys when you were locked inside with just music did you really did you use that time to step away from music guys and f explore other things or did music take on a new place for you guys and a new meaning? I mean, for me, it, it, I, I didn't get the chance to, I was getting together with, with people in person to play music a lot. I lost that for a while and I, I missed that dearly, but uh, as far as writing, I, I continued to do that as if nothing had changed. Um, and that really was kind of a, a brain saver for me um, and fortunate to to have, a, you know, the means to be able to to at least keep doing that during the during the darkest days of that whole yeah. experience. How about how about you, Tanner? It was uh, not a good time to work on music. Yeah. 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 And Matt, you? I I took a break from playing. I still played and i still had session work and stuff like that at home i was recording guitar tracks for records and stuff that were being done but i didn't write at all and i and i really took a break because literally my day job for 15 years was composing music for commercials and tv shows so that kind of went away and uh, i would just play guitar tried to relearn piano for the 15th time but i was also um i had just gotten into a rather new relationship i'd only been with my girlfriend for a year and we were living, we just moved in together. And I really, honestly, she was my saving grace the whole time. Like we became so close and it was, we were very lucky to have one another at that time. So we really just enjoyed each other's company and had a wonderful time hanging out. But we both really went a little stir crazy and it was incredibly stressful because for the first time in forever, I didn't have a day job because I've always worked in music, even with, in my day jobs. So that part got really stressful and and I'm, and I'm back to freelancing like I was when I was in my 20s. And it's that was uh, that challenging part. That was the challenging part for me was to be OK with going back to the old way of doing things. Do do you guys or Matt, last last question, do do you. 
listen to music every day do you do you need need that yeah now yeah every day and yeah. I'll, I'll i'll bring it back just a little bit to the the mellow death thing like i said earlier like i am not the 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 encyclopedia of of knowledge when it comes to this kind of music and so for me i've had so much fun since we started working on this record just gleaming every little thing I can from these two. Like we were all like, like they're the cool kids I met when I was 14 who knew about all these great bands. So every time they even just rattle off like a name or a title, I would, I would find it. I download it and I put it in my iTunes playlist and I listen to it. And it's been, it's brought back that joy of, of that I used to have when I was a kid and I'd find a new band. I'm like, Oh my God, how did I not ever hear this before? And, and a little part of me goes, I'm bummed out that I missed out on it when I was a kid. And, but I'm so excited because it's made me excited for all kinds of music again to tap into that that feeling that initially made me want to play music to begin with. And I'm right back to inspired me in all my music work um, because every day I sit down and I'll listen to at least two hours of of these bands that um, are now becoming my favorite things I've ever heard. And, uh, and it's all because of these guys. That's so. that's absolutely wonderful. Uh you know, Matt, Carl, Tanner. It, I, I, I tell you, like I mentioned before, I, our, I haven't mentioned this. Our, our group. We have a group chat here at Nine Circles, and for all the people, all the editors or all the writers, get on there. And you know, some of us have shared this sentiment about your guys' album, and that's why I'm so excited for it to come out because a lot of people, myself included, who missed that first wave when this stuff was coming out this album for a lot of people this is ours to kind of be a part of from the ground running oh yeah that's incredible yeah it's kind of everything to hear yeah because i was trying to say i forget if i said this in my head or out loud but like you know part of the problem is like yeah if you weren't there and like whatever specific year like 90 94 like in gothenburg you know um like very few people were you know like we all heard this later it took a while to travel compilations were huge tape trading was huge uh, uh, to to expose us but like um yeah it means a lot we want to like reach the people who have checked out you know people who like you listen to metal with and then they just stopped listening to metal like yeah really want vast reaches and claim to be like you know just like rip it like like make a copy of it like upload it to your drive send it to your friends and have them be like who the fuck is this did this come out in 97 and i just you never told me about it like that would be amazing just slide it to them be like man look who i just found do you think you know, when you're asking about like sort of like styles and like what you what we would like to do or something like a nine circles like what kind of records like if everything's been done is there sort of like a, a metric is there a way to review albums that's become pretty predictable and it's more just like going and tasting something at a restaurant or like what are the challenges of reviewing this like what do you look for in an album like, you know it is so funny you mentioned that we mentioned that with like last year or it was the year before with these these bands who are like landmark or grandfather bands like how do you try and find the words to describe a new cannibal corpse album 
Hannibal Corpse is not doing anything different in 2021 or 2022 that Cannibal Corpse hasn't done for the last three decades, four decades. Not saying it's bad, but Cannibal Corpse is Cannibal Corpse. So to try and find words to describe that is is really hard. So like I have over my shoulder a Chemist record right here. Chemist to me is one of those bands of the last couple of years who has come out and done something a little different. So when you hear it, it's that break from the norm that allows the words and the descriptors to easily flow because you're not hearing it so many times rubber stamped. That's what you we we go for is the bands that are breaking from norm. And I'm not saying we need every. You know, I, I I will say this, and you know, my listeners all know this. I'm like the Dan Carlin of hardcore history podcasts. I like to think of myself, I'm the Dan Carlin of heavy metal. I am not a musician, but I'm a fan of music. I don't play an instrument. I play Guitar Hero poorly, but I'm a fan of metal. I I listen to it 24-7. Um, so I, I, I've been that way for decades. It, it's just something new because the internet is so great for exposure, but you can go on Bandcamp every day and 50 bands today will have the tag death metal and they're right. all the same. But when you get that one, and I'm not saying I need a band to dress up like Guar and be cutting the heads off of rubber statues and stuff. <laughs> You know, with a big cuttlefish shooting cum everywhere all over the stage, I, I, I just, I, I just want new. Like you know, we mentioned Isaac in the the you know the blood incantation. Like when when Stormkeep came out a couple years ago, that was something fun and that was yeah. something different. Yeah. So like, I totally hear what you're saying, and, and I you couldn't have like had a better example. Like I think. <clears throat> scheduling out your meals you know like taco tuesday comes along but all of a sudden you know like your favorite tortillas are are gone you have to get flour instead of corn before you know it like you have a completely different dish just because you bought a couple different kinds of ingredients and like yeah sometimes that's what makes it unique is like the recipe is the same but the the tastes are all they're coming together in a different way and sometimes that's the most you can hope for in something that's you know signed all these things well, you know, Tanner, it just came to mind. How do you want people for the three of you guys? How, of course, of course, you can't control how people re- refer to you as, but are they say, oh, that's Tanner of Majesties, or that's Tanner from your other project? I want them to say what they've always said. Like, isn't that Carl Skildum's friend, Tanner? <laughs> I heard he <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> what would be nice is, is like wherever this goes, I just hope that um, the identity of our bands doesn't get lost. I mean, it's in some ways it's no surprise to a lot of our friends, or at least at least mine. That's like if you lift up the skirt of Obsequia, you're going to see a little Jester Ace or Subterranean. You know, like it's just how it is. But um, but there's yeah, obviously something very different in an Exorum and Obsequia than Majesties, but like. It, it's not up to us. It's never been up to us. It won't be just given yeah. time. It never is. 
And moving forward, the only thing that will be up to you is you guys won't agree to an interview with Mushmouth me on the next time. But <laughs> all, all, all jokes aside, I, I, gentlemen, this has been an hour and a half. This has been a a absolute blast. I I cannot, at least here at Nine Circles, I will do all I all I can do to be like the man of war. Fucking Conan, you know, swords in the wind, waving my bloody battle sword for you guys. I will be doing all I can to to uh, wave your guys' flag because I think you guys really, really do have something special here. And as somebody who is jealous of the friendship you you three have, I wish I had a lot of friends like uh, you guys have, which really. Again, just signs through an hour and a half Zoom call. So uh, that's really cool. But uh, again, The World Unseen comes out March 3rd. I will give one of you guys, whoever wants to take it, the final word. You can tell people where to go. Again, there's there's, uh, limited colorways on the vinyl. There's CDs. There's everything on the uh, Bandcamp page my god the support already is uh oh wonderful to see yeah it's just it's kind of blowing us away i mean uh we're just very grateful for the the interest and the the kind words that we've we've heard so far and it's kind of beyond our wildest dreams so um you know we're very very grateful and and uh appreciative of the interest it's it's really really fun so th- and thank you so much for the interview. This is, this has been a blast. You're you're welcome, guys. I could keep you guys all night. I've had that that much fun. Um, thank you, thank you. Um, again, the album is 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 out uh, March third. Vast reaches unclaimed. Sick art, sick vinyls. Uh, if you want the black people, there's only six remaining on Bandcamp. Uh, maybe at the time of this it may be sold out but there's a couple other colors still available um so please support them support the album support these wonderful guys and matt carl and tanner thank you for the time tonight guys thank you thank you